This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 338 with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 338. Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith is an author, speaker, and board-certified physician. She has an active medical practice near Birmingham, Alabama. She is also a national and international media resource on the mind-body-spirit connection and has been featured in Women's Day, Red Book, and First for Women magazine. She is the author of Set Free to Live and Come Empty, winner of the 2016 Golden Scroll Nonfiction Book of the Year and the 2016 Illumination Award Gold Medalist. She is a member of the Christian Medical and Dental Association and a repeat keynote speaker at their annual gatherings. She has shared her tips on merging faith and medicine with over 16,000 healthcare professionals to encourage the current and next generation of doctors to treat the whole person. So Dr. Dalton Smith came on here specifically to talk about rest and a lot about how maybe some shameless moms, I don't know, maybe just a few of you don't do it so well. I will include myself in that. So we're in this together. And we had a really, really fantastic conversation about her book. So she has a book called Sacred Rest, where she goes through seven different kinds of rest. And really, we often think about rest being related to sleep and correlated with sleep. And that's not necessarily always the case. So Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith breaks this down. And she breaks it down into seven types of rest. And sleep is only 50% of one of the seven types. So her studies, her research speaks to the point that sleep is just a tiny bit of the rest factors that we need to be incorporating into our lives. And to be honest, there's a lot more to learn. This is going to be eye-opening for a lot of you. So listen in to hear Sandra share how two-thirds of the population is sleep-deprived, the truth behind highly functional, high-producing women, hint, low joy, low quality of life, the difference between sleep and rest and why you need both, the seven types of rest, how to use flow break cycles to have the work rest ratio that you need to recover the energy you need in order to have energy during all of your waking hours, 
and how to have rest periods even in the midst of family and kid chaos, as well as how to model rest to your kids. This is a really valuable conversation. I was super intrigued by Dr. Sandra's work, by her research, by everything that she had to share. And I just think there's a ton of value here in talking through the different kinds of rest. So I'm going to give you a little sneak peek into the seven types of rest just to get you a little bit excited. So she's going to talk us through the seven types of rest, inactive rest, mental rest, social rest, emotional rest, spiritual rest, sensory rest, and creative rest. I want you to be thinking about this as we go through this conversation, as you listen to the interview. I also want you to make sure that you go and take her rest quiz. So that's over at restquiz.com. And that's going to be really enlightening. I know a bunch of people in Memento Mamas recently took the rest quiz, and they were pretty intrigued by the results and saw a lot of area for improvement and different components of rest in their lives. So I'm really excited to introduce you to this conversation and to introduce you to the work of Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today. This is going to be really good stuff for our listeners. Oh, thanks for having me. So I know you're in Alabama and it's fluctuating between 70 degrees and 40 degrees, depending on the day. Same here in Seattle. So we're in similar universes as we enter spring and head towards summer. Yeah. My kids are loving it. They get to wear shorts and hoodies to school. Right, right. right. <laughs> I know. Every day my son is like, is it a hot day or a cold day? I'm like, I don't know. It could change like, at any given moment. So tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Well, the big thing right now is just the increased opportunities. I've been getting to go and speak in different areas to share some of the information that I've gathered on rest and burnout prevention, particularly with families as well as within my own profession as a physician, really being able to help other doctors to get back control over their personal and their work life in a way that is beneficial and rewarding to them. I'm really excited to dive into this topic because I know that moms in particular can be neglectful in the area of sleep and rest and not because they intend to be. It's not that we don't want to sleep, but I think that we learn to get by with a minimal amount and then we don't recognize that we're tired and we think we're just fine (laughs) And when the reality is we're not fine and we're exhausted and there can be some long-term health implications for that. So let's talk a little bit about the vicious cycle of sleep and sleeplessness for moms that results in us feeling really extremely physically exhausted without even knowing it. Yeah, that's the thing about sleep deprivation. You know, the studies show that at least two thirds of the population is sleep deprived. So when that happens, sleep deprivation affects so many areas of our life in that it keeps us kind of working at a lower level. So you're functioning, you're getting things done, you're getting things accomplished, but they're being accomplished in a way that just continues to drain you more and more. So it's kind of this, like you said, this vicious cycle where you continually are feeling as if you are battling to get the energy. You're either chugging mugs of Starbucks or you're running around snacking on candies and cookies and other things trying to get that quick boost of energy that really only is going to come when you slow down, when you take some time to unwind, to get your body in a position to be able to get high quality sleep. Yes. Oh my gosh. I have like so many questions I want to take off from there with that. So first of all, can you define what you said two thirds of the population is sleep deprived? And is there like a specific measurement from where that statistic comes from or what qualifies one to be sleep deprived? 
Well, sleep deprived really goes back with looking at how well someone's sleep cycle is affecting their quality of life. So this is from a study. I don't remember the specifics of where it came from, but it was one that was done about two years ago that was evaluating why so many of us are saying we're tired all the time. Mm -hmm. That seems to be the current badge of honor you wear if you are a person who is high achieving, constantly being involved with your work and your family life Mm -hmm. and trying to, as we say, balance it all that this population has a higher risk because they are so invested in so many different areas. Right. And you bring up the point about feeling tired all the time. I think sometimes we don't feel tired all the time because I think a lot of women live in a constant adrenaline rush. What do you think about that? I find it happens with a lot is that they're able to push through. They've learned how to grind it out. Yeah. Fatigue, that tiredness, is still there, right. they just ignore it. Yeah. Or <laughs> maybe medicate it with back burner. <laughs> right. Or medicate it with caffeine or Red Bull or what like what you know, medicate it in different ways so that again, like they can just push through it, like you said. Yeah. And the problem with that is is that even though they're able to function, so they stay highly functional, mm-hmm. you lose a lot of the joy in what you're producing. I find that so many women are high producers. They are out there, they are getting things done. I mean, if you look at them on paper, they are like the mom supreme. <laughs> they have got it going on. And then when you talk to these same women, sometimes you're amazed at how little they seem to enjoy their lives mm-hmm. because you can be a very high producer and not be enjoying what you're producing. And that gets to be a very desperate place. And I find a lot of women who are very successful are learning that and they are learning that they need to take back control of not only what they're producing, but how well they're enjoying what they're producing. Yes, absolutely. That's such a great point. And I think the joy piece is like another thing that you compromise, especially when you have really little kids, where again, as a survival technique, I think we're like, well, it's all really hard and it's not really that fun. But like, I just have to do what I have to do to get through it. And so we push through the fatigue and we push through the lack of joy thinking like, well, I just have to keep going. So I'm not going to prioritize sleep. And I'm also not going to prioritize joy because who has time? Like who has time to prioritize anything besides kind of just being in survival mode right now? Yeah. And I hate that. I hate that so many of us have, because that's where I got, that's where I even started this whole process of looking at sleep and rest and what it means to my life, because that's where I got, I was in a position where looking from the outside, I had everything that anyone would have wanted. Mm -hmm. I was nationally in newspapers and magazines and on TV and all this stuff that I had worked towards. And I really had grinded out to get to this level of success that I thought was the main thing that I wanted. I had my kids, my house, my husband, the car and all the accolades. And sitting there in that moment, I had picked up the kids one day from daycare and I set them in front of the TV because I needed a break. And that's the cheapest babysitter you can find. (laughs) So I sat them in front of the TV and literally laid out on my foyer floor on the hardwood, just exhausted, Mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally, every type of exhaustion you can think of. I didn't want to move. And I lay there and I thought, if this is all there is, why, what have I been grinding for? If all there is, is to run back and forth from one event to another event, from picking up from daycare to dropping off here to picking this up there. If that's all there is, then I'm on out. I don't want to be here anymore. Right, right. And so when I look at sometimes celebrities and people in media who we look at their lives and we think, you know, they're so successful And we see them being a blessing to so many people in their life and in the work that they do. 
how can they get to the point where they are ready to end it? And I can help totally understand that. Mm -hmm. Because if you're only focusing on the grinding out, and you never take the time to allow yourself to recover, which is really what rest is about, is about recovering yourself, you never allow yourself that time and that space, then eventually you will be the one who will end up burnt out. There will be nothing left of you because you have basically given to the point that there is nothing else left. Right. Oh, you make a great point. And I think that's where that like crippling fatigue creeps in. And I think that that's not uncommon. It's your sleep rock bottom or your fatigue rock bottom of getting to that point of like feeling like you have nothing left to give to anyone. And I also think that it's interesting that those triggering events that lead you to that place are often can be little things. I know this happened to me years ago in a previous career, but I was working night shift and I loved working night shift and it allowed me to go to school during the day. So I was like, this is great. This is such a great option. So ideal. And then I would have these like weird emotional breakdowns and they weren't like, I wasn't angry. I wasn't sad, but I would just find myself watching TV and crying and I couldn't ever figure out what it was. And then I started recognizing that it happened on a schedule with my sleep schedule. So if I worked two night shifts in a row over a weekend, which I often did when I was in school, then like six days later, I would just randomly find myself crying for no reason. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. there would be this like apathy that came with it though. Like it didn't feel like an emotional response or something that was emotionally charged, but it was this apathy and this just weird outburst kind of, or meltdown and where I would have to check in with myself and be like, Oh wait, six days ago, you didn't sleep for like 48 hours really restfully. And now this is what your body's saying. Like you need some serious catch up girl. (laughs) Absolutely. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not 
my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. So tell us about the distinction between sleep and rest, because I'm super curious about this. As I was preparing for the interview, I noticed that you made the distinction in a lot of your work. And I think that sleep we see is necessary and something that like is automatically worked into our day. And sometimes I feel like rest maybe is like, oh, that would be nice or a nap sounds great. But what's the difference between the two and how are they interrelated? Well, that's a great point. I think that is how a lot of people look at it is that, well, sleep is this thing I have to do every night. Rest is what I'll get around to yeah. if I find time for it. But sleep and rest, unfortunately, we have combined them into like the same thing. When we say, sometimes you'll even hear people say, well, I rested well last night. Mm. And we combine them up as this one concept that sleep and rest are the same. And they're not. Rest that's part of the big process that I've been helping people to understand over this past couple of years is that rest really is more complex than just sleeping. There are seven different types of rest. And so sleep is just one of the seven types. So of the seven types, sleep is a type of physical rest. And physical rest is even divided up into passive and active. So when we look at sleep, we're only looking at half of what is considered physical rest, mm -hmm. whereas rest includes all of these other things, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, the social, the sensory, and the creative, as well as the physical. And so if you're trying to use sleep to fix, like, let's say, a spiritual or a sensory or a creative rest deficit, it's never going to work because sleep is not going to restore or pour back into any of those categories in a way that that replenishes the energy you've used throughout your day. Mm. Oh, this is so interesting. Okay, so in your book, Sacred Rest, you talk about these seven types of rest. Can you walk us through each one? Sure. Well, physical, I won't spend a lot of time on because that's the one most of us can get pretty easily. But as I mentioned, the passive is things like sleeping and napping. And then the active are things like yoga or meditative walking where you're not walking for exercise you're not trying to get your fitbit points in but you're walking more when a mindset of restoring your lymphatics and circulation to your body so that becomes important for people who let's say if you sit at home for long or you sit at your computer for long periods maybe it's part of your work that you're at the computer you don't want to have a sedentary type situation where you're staying in the same position for a long time you're wanting to practice what we call body fluidity, where you're constantly allowing your body to move and to restore that circulation. Mental rest would be if you've ever had that situation where you lay down at nighttime and your mind is going through everything that happened that day, you're replaying conversations, you're thinking about what you need to do the next day, you're doing your mental checklist. This is my this whole life. Is like this is my whole life in bed <laughs> is this right here. So that's a mental rest deficit because your brain can't get to that quiet cerebral yep. space. And the problem with that is, is when you then try to go to sleep and you may have experienced this, you are sleeping while processing. Yes. So you're going through your list or working through conversations and processing information while you sleep, mm -hmm. which can't take you into deep 
stage three and four non-REM sleep, the type of level of deep sleep required to actually be restorative to other parts of your body. So you're staying in that lighter sleep, which doesn't feel good when you wake up the next day, you still feel tired. So mental rest is being able to turn that off. And so for a lot of people, it can be something as simple as keeping a post-it note or a notepad or journal by the bedside so that you can jot down whatever it is you're trying to process. Because the way the mind works is if you take it out of your cerebral space and put it on something concrete like a notepad or a piece of paper, it tells your brain, okay, I don't have to keep holding on to this. I can let it go because it's safely contained on this piece of paper. When you don't do that and you think, well, I'll just remember it, the brain says, well, I don't want to let Sarah down, so I got to keep this thing going until the next morning so she doesn't forget to do X, Y, Z, whatever that is. And so we are always wanting to make sure that we allow those times when our brain can kind of get to that quiet spot. One of the other types of rest that I find, or two of them actually, that I find that women and moms have a huge deficit in when they do my assessment are social and emotional rest. And social rest, they're highly tied together, the two, because they both involve people. But social rest is that rest we get from being in the presence of others, that face-to-face kind of connection when you are able to perceive how someone is receiving you because of their facial expressions, their mannerisms, that, that connection that you don't get necessarily when you're on normal social media and you're just reading a comment or a text message but that you get when you're face to face. And the interesting thing with that is for a lot of moms, they oftentimes feel like they're alone in their journey, that other people don't get where they're at because they're not seeing it acted out in other people's lives. What a lot of mom groups I've talked with are doing now is they're doing virtual meetups on Skype or WhatsApp or FaceTime or whatever apparatus they want to use. But the studies are showing if you do face to face time, even virtually, where you can see people, you can see them, how their expressions, their hand motions, all of those things that kind of give you a sense of what's going on, that that emotional rest that comes from that uh, connectivity helps people to not feel that they're alone in their situations. So I love it when I hear about a group of moms who've got toddlers and they can't necessarily leave their house to go meet up for coffee, but they do just like a 10 minute at their dinner tables with the kids in the background screaming or whatever they got to be doing. (laughs) And they're just having some time together so that they don't feel like, okay, I'm the only one having to deal with whatever that situation may be. I love that. And that ties in with emotional rest because emotional rest is that it's removing that sense of, of fakeness that a lot of us live under that mask. You know, when we leave our house, we all have our ideal situation of how we want people to perceive us. That can't be continuous all day, every day. And unfortunately for a lot of people, that is their continuous. They never feel that that emotional, that emotional security to be able to just be truly authentic unapologetically. And that you can't have that with everyone, but there should be people in your life who you know get you and love you and respect you, and you don't have to show up as your presentable self. You can show up just as you are, and they're still going to be your people because they're not looking for you to feel something in them or for you to validate something in them. And you're able to just be. 
because the issue with the social and emotional unrest is because so many of the people in our lives are needing something from us. Yeah. And it's a good or bad thing. I mean, your kids need something. They want dinner. You know, They want love. It's not a bad thing that there are people in your life that need things from you. But there need to be people in your life who don't need anything from you. Because those are the people you're able to rest in. Those are the people who pour back into you. And that keeps you able to come back to those that need you and not feel empty all the time. That makes sense. So I want to give an example of social and emotional rest because when I found recently as my work has been more mentally engaging and kind of mentally exhausting by the end of the day, because I've been doing a lot of new things, that my craving of social and emotional rest has been so much deeper than it used to be. And so an example is tonight, my son has his first t-ball practice this year. And mm-hmm. I'm like ridiculously excited for it. But I think it's because like, he's not even that excited about it. And I'm like, Oh, I can't wait. But I think it's because it's going to be this social emotional rest. Like it's going to give me respite from the heavy lifting I'm having to do mentally right now in my work. And I'm super excited about that. So that's interesting. Like I'd never thought about framing it around rest, but it is a form of rest for me to just go sit with some other moms and talk about being t-ball moms. Yeah. And that's the thing. Most of the time when we talk about rest, people are automatically thinking, well, I don't have time to go do a yoga class. I don't have time to meditate and stare at a blade of grass for 10 hours and contemplate the world. You know, they have this image of rest as being this huge sabbatical type opportunity to break away. And really rest is about restoration. It's about identifying in your life where you are using the most energy and then being very intentional about getting that specific type of energy restored. The restoration of that energy, that is the rest. I love that. Rest is about restoration. I feel like that seems really obvious. (laughs) And I had never thought about it in that way before. (laughs) But now that you said it, I'm like, oh, huh. (laughs) That should have been something pretty obvious. Uh, (laughs) Okay. So did we cover the seven? We covered most of them. The three left are spiritual, which that one really is about just connecting beyond the mental and the physical to have that deep sense of belonging and acceptance and purpose in the world. You know, that varies based on what people's spiritual beliefs are. Mm -hmm. And then the last two that many have never have heard of are sensory, which should be, as you mentioned, very obvious. But a lot of people aren't aware of how their environment is affecting their ability to feel rested. And then last is creative, which has to do with your ability to restore that awe and wonder that is used in day-to-day activities. For example, with creative rest, if you're someone who has to solve problems, think outside the box, come up with solutions to things, you may never have thought of that as being a creative process, but you're creating something out of nothing because you're having to solve something. And so when your job is based around that type of innovative brainstorming type processes, you have to restore that with a time to appreciate creativity in other ways. So whether that's creativity in nature, that's why so many people say, I just feel so much better when I go to the beach or at bodies of water. Mm -hmm. They're allowing their own creativity to be restored in the setting of appreciating other beauty. Same thing can happen with music or theater. It's wherever you're awakened in your creative process. And like I said, it's not about you creating something. It's not about you painting or writing. It's about being able to continuously allow yourself to appreciate the awe and wonder and think outside the box. Right. 
So I actually had my business coach a few months ago mentioned creative rest to me. I don't know that she termed it quite that way, but she was saying that as a visionary of a company or a brand or a business or what have you, as a visionary or in the CEO role, that you really need to build in space to be creative and time to like have nothing going on so that you have the opportunity to have the creative thoughts. And if you're just constantly booked and busy and focusing on like what you need to have done in the next 10 minutes, you don't have those creative spaces to grow a company and to be the visionary. And when she said this, I was like, oh my gosh, she's so right. And I think that this is something that a lot of us struggle to create time for because it isn't societally, it's not valued in the same way. We're such a doer get things done kind of society. And especially among moms, so many of us are so high achieving type A, just want to get the next thing done and climb, whether we're climbing the ladder of being the best stay at home mom ever, or being, you know, corporate mom and getting the next promotion, we're always focusing on accomplishment and achievement because that's what society focuses on rather than just creating some space to like be creative and let new ideas in. And it's such a different feeling. But when she mentioned this to me, I was like, that's so right. And I have never considered building a business in that way. And I need to be more aware of that. Absolutely. And not just a business, really creating yeah. a life yes, in that yes. way. Because, Important um, distinction. Yes, because you want to be able to, I, I love it when moms ask, well, how do you define or how do you get work-life balance? And I say, I don't. I mean, honestly, if I tried to have work-life balance, that would not be a good situation. If you think about a scale, when you're balancing things, they're on two opposite poles. Who wants that with your work and your life? You're really wanting work-life harmony, where they are blended together in a way that is beautiful and that creates something that you enjoy participating in. So I think that's an excellent distinction. Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning it relative to life versus just work. (laughs) Super important. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned emotional rest and you said it's when we no longer feel the need to perform. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because again, going back to this idea about us being performance driven and achievement and result driven, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, most of us are performing even when we're not trying to be. For instance, I'll just use myself as an example. My normal personality, I tend to crack a lot of jokes and my friends kind of see me as a jokester, (laughs) as my normal personality. So that doesn't mesh well with being an internal medicine physician when I'm in the ICU or in the ER with someone who's critically ill. You know, even if there's something funny I could say, (laughs) that wouldn't go over very well. So part of my normal personality that would want to try to lighten the mood and, and kind of get things back on a happy note, I have to squash some of that in my professional day to day activities because it just isn't professional. It just and so there's a level of performance and stress that goes with kind of taming down your normal tendencies. And I think we all experience that to some degree if you're in a corporate setting and, you know, there's normally words, let's say, that you would say if you were hanging out with your girlfriends, you wouldn't necessarily say that in the middle of a business meeting or in the middle of a PTA meeting, wherever you're at, you know, having to adjust to fit the situation. Well, the stress and the strain that goes with that oftentimes goes home with people. So when they're even in their comfortable setting, they tend to kind of suppress who they really are. And that is very exhausting to not just be able to be yourself, to just let loose. Mm -hmm. And so there's that emotional rest is being able to recognize when you are performing, even when you're not wanting to, Mm -hmm. so that you will take those opportunities to just be fully authentic and not hold back all the time. Right. 
Are you familiar with Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies? I am not. So she has these four tendencies and it's kind of ways of categorizing people's personality types. But one of the most common tendency is being an obliger. So basically being a people pleaser. And Mm -hmm. that's what many women are in many capacities. And so I was thinking when you talk about this, that when we're in different environments, so often at work and then in different social scenarios, for sure, we, I think, are often most consumed by pleasing those around us rather than just focusing on like what we need or want out of an interaction or a situation, because I think that's what women are just programmed to do culturally. So I can attest to having like certain groups, even socially, certain groups of friends where I can feel like more at ease and more just like, I don't have to be super conscientious and thoughtful and intentional about my words. It can just like, we've known each other forever versus other groups of friends, even who I love and adore and really enjoy spending time with but I'm on a little bit more alert and like wanting to be seen a certain way or wanting to be conscientious Mm -hmm. around how I talk about things or whatever. And I think that's pretty common. And I think that a lot of it has to do with this obliger personality type of the way we want to show up to other people. So I totally appreciate your point of how this can come across in different facets of our life and sometimes in consciously and sometimes unconsciously. Yes, because whether you are acknowledging it or not, that's putting a stress on your system that's putting a stress on your energy levels and so when you are doing that when you are being a people pleaser you put yourself in a situation where you are using energy unnecessarily at times at the end of that you end up saying well I, you know I, I'm exhausted after I leave that group of ladies right. you may have had a great time but you can feel that you have used energy beyond what you had to give at that moment. And I love what you were saying about as far as being a people pleaser, because I think you're right. So many women are. And one of the things that I often say is that we get so used to giving kind of our reluctant yeses rather than a truthful no. And really someone who becomes emotionally rested, they understand the value of a no. And they are okay with confrontation because that's the thing. People pleasers don't want that confrontation. But you have to be able to be okay with that. To have personal boundaries, you have to be able to be comfortable with confrontation. Yes. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. 
Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Oh my gosh, this is something I've been talking about recently in a couple different capacities and spaces, but talking about for people who give the quick yes, and even though they don't want to, to buy themselves time and say like, can I get back to you tomorrow? Let me let me get back to you rather than making that automatic yes and then being like immediately drained and defeated and mm-hmm. like, no, no, I have to deliver on that yes. And I think we do that all the time. I think we're just, again, programmed to do it. We don't think about it. But those undesirable yeses really add up and it really compromises rest for sure. Absolutely. And it gets us in situations where we are oftentimes doing things that are in no way leading towards our goals and our desires. We're doing things to accomplish others' goals and desires. And that has to stop. Yeah. And it becomes almost mindless. Like if someone asks for help, you're like, oh, yeah, sure. Because that's just what you're in the practice of doing. You're in the practice of always saying yes versus Mm -hmm. being intentional about I want to be someone who practices being discerning and practices saying no, because that actually is going to get me what I really want out of life. Or that's going to get me more quality time with my partner or my children or allow me space to be more successful at work or whatever. So yeah, I think it takes some conscientious thought and practice for sure. Cause I know those no's can be really uncomfortable if you're someone who's practiced yes a lot. <laughs> that's so true. So your book has a lot of teaching stories in it. Can you share a favorite story that might be particularly relevant to moms? Let's see. My favorite teaching story would be, well, it's one when I talk about a mom group that I was in where I call her the unknown mama who (laughs) came into the group when she showed up at our mom's group. It was one of these groups where everyone has kids under the age of two and we kind of get together just to have kind of a connection with others who are in the same season that we're in. She walked into the room and she was so put together that I thought, okay, she's fully on show. You know, there's no one who can be just that at peace with themselves and just that comfortable with their life. I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, there's no way. So my natural tendency, if I'm curious about something, rather than withdraw, I get closer because I want to investigate <laughs> biology and biochemistry is my major. So I want to like dissect. So uh, completely going about this friendship the wrong way, because I'm like, I'm going to dissect into (laughs) what her truth is. And so so we became fast friends. And before I knew it, we were actually having kind of a girls weekend away where we were leaving the kids with the daddies for like just like a Friday night coming back Saturday kind of thing. And we were going to this conference together. And by this time, I had actually we had spent enough time together that I knew she really She really was who she presented herself to be. And I couldn't understand how that could be because I knew how many things she had going on in her life. And I remember her, we were lying on the bed that, you know, that after the conference that evening and she said something to me and the lights were off. We were just kind of, you know, we weren't asleep, but we we were just kind of chatting. Mm -hmm. And she made this comment. She goes, she goes, are you happy? And I was like, yeah, I'm just as happy as the next girl, I guess. And her statement to me just shocked me. And it really became a life change. She said, but what if the next girl isn't happy? Why are you even looking at or even thinking about what the next person looks like? Are you happy? 
What does that mean to you? And I tell you, I'd never really even thought about that. Yeah. And it never really crossed my mind to take away all of the societal images of what that looked like, because that's all I'd ever seen. I never thought about just painting the picture on a clean white sheet by myself without even interpreting anyone else's interpretation in being with that. And when we started having that conversation, that changed my entire life. Honestly, my life today looks so much different because of that one conversation, because at that time I was not happy. That's why I was looking at her. I was thinking, okay, how can anyone be that, that content? Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't, and I couldn't even figure out what it was I wasn't content with, but I wasn't content because I didn't even know what I was going after. I didn't know what it was I needed to feel successful and fulfilled and happy and at peace. And so that one story probably affected me more than any of the others in the book. Yeah, that's a big one. That's really interesting. And I think that's a really common, I think a lot of women can resonate with that. I think that's a common experience that we have, not knowing exactly why we aren't happy, not knowing exactly what we want, just knowing that like someone else's life looks really good, better than Mm -hmm. ours. (laughs) But, and even when we look at it, we're like, I wouldn't really necessarily want to do that exact life, but I don't know what I want in my own. So that's a really interesting point and super thought provoking too. I appreciate that. What are the long-term effects of focusing only on work or production or achievement, whatever that might mean to people in different capacities and omitting regular periods of rest? Well, that's the thing. The rest allows you to be able to appreciate the work that you're doing. Yeah. When you don't have that healthy work rest ratio, the work just becomes the mission. That's all that you can see. And you lose the ability to enjoy it, to appreciate it, to reevaluate it. And it's during the rest that all of those things happen. That's why I find that a lot of people that are concerned about the rest causing a decrease in their productivity. Like if I go into a company and I'm discussing this with their employees, the first thing is like, well, isn't that going to take away our productivity? What ends up happening and what all the research shows is that those who rest well are actually more productive. Because if you think about just in your normal day, if there's eight hours that you're going to be working and you take no rest periods in between, then those last few hours, and this has been shown in numerous studies, that time between two o'clock and five o'clock, people are just kind of milling around trying to hurry up the day to get it over with (laughs) because they don't have any energy left. They're trying to chug whatever they can or eat whatever they can to try to push through with whatever little bit of fumes of energy they have left. Whereas those who practice things like flow break cycles, where they're doing the every 90 to 120 minutes, taking like a five minute reset to be able to allow themselves to get back to kind of ground zero to some degree, tend to do better in the evening because by the time they get to between that two to five o'clock period, they're not exhausted. Yeah, They still feel fresh and can still continue to do a higher level of work. So that to me was one of the biggest things is just seeing that focusing on work alone ends up hurting the work in the long run. Such a great point and such a valuable lesson. I think a bunch of people are like, oh, wait, so I shouldn't just push through all the time. Shoot, we've been doing it all wrong, ladies. Um, So can you talk about you just mentioned, I think you said the work rest flow or you mentioned some work rest ratio. Sorry, a healthy work. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that and talk about the 90 to 120 minutes and how we can structure rest into our days. 
Well, the uh, healthy work-rest ratio is different for every person, but what it really boils down to is, is determining how much rest is needed to recover the energy that you use in your work. And honestly, the quickest way most people can start implementing that is by using flow break cycles, which is allowing yourself to take breaks between either 90 to 120 minutes is what most of the science shows. So all of us, you know, we're attached to our computers or our cell phones or whatever. You might as well make them work for you. There are multiple apps and different apparatus you can put on your computer or your phone so that you get a little chime at the 120 minutes to remind you to either practice body fluidity, meaning get up from the chair and go walk in the kitchen or in the break room, wherever, get some water so that you're not getting dehydrated so that you stay fluid in that way as well. To do something as simple as if you're staring at the computer for long periods of time, you can take a quick sensory break by closing your eyes for a few moments so that that constant eye tension that so many people get relaxes to practice just some normal facial relaxation. Many of us clench our teeth or raise our shoulders and kind of change our posture when we get stressed or when we're under pressure. So taking those short breaks to evaluate, okay, does my neck hurt? Am I having a headache? Evaluate what's going on so you can start undoing the damage sooner rather than later so that you don't leave the day feeling all tense, but you can start breaking some of that down in the middle of the day. Are you familiar with the Pomodoro timer? No, I haven't heard of that. So it's, I believe it is a... 55 0, 15 minutes on, 10 minutes off work cycle. And you can get different apps now where you can set the ratios to be any amount that you want. But I think it was traditionally set up to be 50 minutes on, 10 minutes of rest, and that you do this in your work day so that over the course of however long your work day is, this is how you operate every hour. So you basically have like 50 minutes focused on a task, then you have 10 minutes break, and then you either go back to that task or switch to another task. But you have this 10 minutes of break time every hour. And I know that people who do a large volumes of content creation, I find it to be helpful. And I hadn't thought about it in the term of this flow break cycle and with relationship to a work rest ratio, but it seems like the same thing and also very helpful. It is. It is. And I found that most people tend to do better. The people that I've worked with tend to do better with a little bit longer stretch of time. Okay. So the 90 to 120, because sometimes it takes a moment to get your flow started, so to yeah. speak, yeah, to yeah. kind of get in the groove when you begin something. So 50 minutes to me is very short. Sure. I know I personally couldn't actually get that to work with my schedule, yeah. but a little bit longer periods of time. It's before you actually fatigue out okay. that you're having the break but it gives you enough time to actually get into a flow so that you feel like you've really done some good substantial work before you take the break. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you adapt that for like a stay at home mom? (laughs) So I can see where if I'm like sitting in this office and I can control all these variables, like, yes, I can work and then set a timer and that's all really great. And when you're in a situation where you kind of have to be in reactive mode or the circumstances dictate how you need to be engaging, How can stay-at-home moms or people who have more reactive environments build in rest? Well, I love it how one of my stay-at-home mom coaching clients, she calls it, I'm going to flow within the chaos, and then I'm going to have periods of controlled chaos. (laughs) I like it. So what she does is she homeschools. So her kids are at an age where, you know, they do a lot of activities. And so, and they're so young. So they're still in kind of the kindergarten early age stage. So what she does is she divides this time up in such a way that when she's ready to do her 90 minutes, they have 90 minutes of specific activities where she has to be fully engaged. 
where she has to be working with them in whatever capacity that is. And then she does hers with 10 minute breaks where there's 10 minutes where she has them do something that does not require her in the least bit. And that could be from, okay, we're going to have coloring or we're going to watch a video on something. And during that time, she takes her break. Okay. And so they are occupied doing whatever it is she has them doing. And they are usually it's not having to do with the schoolwork. It's something that allows them to have kind of a downtime. So they're, both, I, they're I know, all getting rest then. Yes. So yeah. it's something to let them have some kind of unstructured downtime. And she doesn't have to be actively involved with it. So she can then do the same thing. And I love that because yeah. she's now teaching it to her kids. Exactly. <laughs> So they won't grow up to be part of this millennial population that we read about that's saying that, you know, hey, I'm 25 and I'm already burned out because they haven't learned how to rest. Right. Yeah. I get up in the morning and journal and read before I work out. And my six-year-old has taken to joining me for this, which is not my preference. But I keep telling myself, I'm like, but this is so great because he's now doing it with, like he's getting up and reading with me. I swear, no matter how quietly I tiptoe downstairs at 5.45 in the morning, he's just right there with me, like carrying his book (laughs) down the stairs. I'm like, here we go. (laughs) I think it's super valuable. My husband was like, why don't you tell him he needs to stay in this room till later? I said, no, because like if he's awake and up, he's starting a really valuable practice. I don't want to take that away from him. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I totally agree though with modeling. These kinds of things can be so helpful. Super. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So I have two more questions for you, but before we go into my little wrap up questions, I would love to know, is there anything else you wanted to touch on anything else? Oh, I know you have a quiz that listeners can take if that might be helpful. So do you want to talk about that a little bit and anything else? Yeah, the quiz is really simple. It's at restquiz.com. What it is, and I highly recommend people do it because most of the time when I talk about the seven types of rest, automatically you'll start thinking, oh, I think, well, maybe that's the one that I need more of, or maybe that's what the issue is. And so what the quiz does is it allows you to be able to get a full assessment of where you're at in each of the seven areas. So you get a score. That lets you know whether or not you're deficient or if you're in a good range. And it helps you to be able to then evaluate where you need to get more rest. So you can be very intentional and specific about getting the rest you need and not kind of grabbing at all seven, trying to get more of each one of them. Oh, I love that. Then people can prioritize a little bit and not not get exhausted in trying to rest too many ways at once. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's really simple. It's restquiz.com. Perfect. I love that. What a great URL too. So simple. Okay. So tell us in what ways you are a shameless mom. I'm a shameless mom because I have finally realized that I don't have to live up to anyone's expectations other than my own. I think I spent so much time trying to portray something that I thought I wanted because I saw it portrayed in other areas. And once I realized that really for me being a shameless mom is not being ashamed of who I am, my personality, my no's are my no's, my yeses are my yeses, and I don't have to explain them to anybody else. I just have to be good with them. And I think that there's a lot of rest that comes just in knowing that. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so tell everyone where we can find you, where they can find you to connect with you and learn more. Well, my main website is at ichoosemybestlife.com. And the book we were discussing has been Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. And it's available wherever books are sold. I love it. Thank you so much. This has been 
helpful and insightful and really valuable. And I know all of us are like trying to figure out how we can rest more, which is brings me automatic joy to know more mamas are going to be resting more and more conscientious of the rest. So I so appreciate you being here today, Sandra. This has been fantastic. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here, and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.